Welcome back to another episode of the RAG Report podcast, my daily bulletin show where I bring to you recruitment owners, advisors, suppliers, even investors who are prepared to give up a bit of their time to help us all understand their take on COVID-19 and hopefully we can all take some learnings and get through this better together. Uh, Today I'm joined by Simon Curtis. Simon is the founder uh, of Pace MedTech, a very specific medical device technology recruitment business headquartered in Reading, I believe. Um, and has a global footprint in the, in, with their clients and candidates. Simon's someone I've worked with for a while, uh, personally, through Hoxo. Um, he had a previous brand known as Vado, and they've only recently rebranded as Pace. So really interesting uh, time to do that. And I want to find out more about what Simon's been up to um, throughout the lockdown. Before I do, I just want to mention a word from our sponsor, Rise Recruitment Ventures. Rise are headed up by Alex Elliott and Jonathan Coxon, two guys who built and sold a recruitment company called Liquid Personnel inside 10 years in 2016. They made over 20 million between them in the exit, and now they've set up an, uh, an investment business exclusively operating in the recruitment market to help startups and early stage organizations scale and exit just like they did. If you're interested in finding out how they can not only offer capital, but their expertise to make it happen for you, reach out to them via www.riserv.co.uk. Now, back to the show. Simon, welcome to The Rag Report. Cheers, Sean. It's good to have you on, bud. I feel like uh, I talked to you enough, so it's about time we got you recording the conversation. Yeah, obviously we chat a lot. Um, yeah, you were sending me all sorts. You were sending me your paddling pool at the weekend. It was, uh, you've, you've, been, you've built an impressive garden over there in uh, the Thames Valley. I was a bit jealous in my shitty London flat. <laughs> I think technically it's a hot tub uh, rather than a paddling pool. Oh, whatever. You, you... Yeah, my kids, that's how my kids treat it. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, to be honest, I've, I'm lucky I've got a piece of grass next to my flat. And I know there's people in a hell of a lot worse situation than me. Like my business partner, Amma, gets an hour's sunlight coming through his window. Like in, <laughs> about five. So every day at 5 p.m., he sits on his, literally perches out of his living room window to get the, the, this direct hit, um, which is a bit depressing. Amma, if you're listening, I feel sorry for you. Um, but Simon, look, we uh, obviously we chat a lot, but there's still a lot of things that I, I don't know. and, and um, First question I ask everyone right now is what just paint the picture for everyone. What is your what the hell is your life like right now? Um I think the honest answer is it's changing on a daily basis. It's changing based on feedback we get from the market, whether that's individuals as candidates, clients. But um yeah, I think working in medical technology, there's generally like an external assumption that because the clients we work with are making a lot of the equipment that the press are talking about, so whether it's PPE, ventilators, all this type of kit, is that it must be booming. And I think the reality is it, it is, but at a blue-collar level, um, whereas operating a white-collar label is quite stable, people working from home. So it really varies client to client, and the variation seems to come from those who are uh, geared up to operate remotely so they've got a good digital setup through their, their IT infrastructure and also they kind of got the they're forward thinking enough um, to start using things like WebEx um, to do interviews or possibly even to, to onboard people because at the end of the day a lot of these companies have been around for a while and we're talking about companies who typically are like short sleeves like burrows in their pockets yeah you think med tech and you think sexy cool tech when really it could just be like you know like 
old kit in a hospital 10 years ago classed as medtech, right? Yeah, some of the stuff's like really cool, like really sexy, like blow your mind. There's companies out there who are making like robotic exoskeletons that will help you walk again if you're paralyzed. But then I get the, the interesting thing is PPE's probably always been like the very lot like, boring end of the scale, but now it's out there, it's important. Everyone's tried to jump on the bandwagon with the government um, incentivizing other companies to get involved. Mm. But I think um, that's also fallen a little bit flat on its face with people wanting to get involved with the supply of PPE, um, but, but it failed because of the, the slowness in communication back from the government. So your, your business only recently rebranded, but when did, so take us back a bit. So you, when did you launch Vado, which was the first iteration of the business? How long ago was that? <laughs> um, so Vado launched in like, it was July 2006. 2017. Uh, yeah, you were in for a long time, right? Yeah, so I started out at S3, started out with Huxley at S3 in Reading. I was there for five years, worked on an engineering desk as a contract recruiter, uh, and then set up a perm desk with them, built up a small team before I left. Um, I joined Austin Fraser as their, I think as their fifth or sixth employee. Mm. Um, under a fake name at the time, but I don't think you've got long enough for that story. Yeah, yeah, I'll we'll keep that one quiet for now. But yeah, so I joined Austin Fraser as Tony Goodman, uh, <laughs> just to avoid my non-compete. Um, you look like a Tony with that shaved head. You look a Tony. <laughs> <laughs> it's my it's my action man haircut for uh, COVID nineteen. Um, uh, I spent eight years there. I left this there MD. Um, had a great time along the way. Won a load of awards but I had a kind of driving desire to want to do something on my own. So I left and I had, I had a 12 month non-compete to ride out. Um, so I did a, I had quite a strong background in like, technology enabling sales. So I actually did ended up doing some work with uh, one of Bullhorn's partners, uh, Kylo. Okay. Worked with Bullhorn's clients to help different recruitment businesses operate, uh, sorry, operate, optimize their sales processes, look at integration of different products, whether it's their website into their CRM, how they push in their marketing funnel into their CRM, et cetera. Really just looking to optimize the results of the, the, the data that they got their fingertips on. Um, I started to do a bit of a beauty parade about, about nine months into that non-compete. Um, I knew that I didn't want to do it on my own. I didn't knew I didn't want to do the whole like, recruitment out your pants in your bedroom type situation. I'd had some experience recruiting internationally with Austin Fraser, both in Germany and also the States. And I really enjoyed working in the States and the market's huge over there. The fees are bigger, the salaries are bigger. Um, and I had a, a desire to get back into that space. So I wanted to do it with someone else. Um, yeah, so it was an interesting experience actually because having only ever had two gigs in recruitment, both for like a fairly substantial period of time. So it's like yeah. 13 years in total. I'd never really done the whole um, job interview thing before. Mm. Um, and let alone do an interview with an investor rather than an employer. So it was quite interesting. I met anyone from who was prepared just to put up like cold hard cash through two people who ultimately add more value as like a business partner. Um, and I filtered it down to like two or three options and went with 
um, what in my view was more sort of forward thinking business like digitally, who had uh, a quite interesting platform that are looking to, to scale up. And I think like given my background in using technology within recruitment, it was quite an interesting draw for me. And we set up Vado with or what was, sorry, what was, what is now Pace, what was then Vado uh, with the Source Chain Group, um, yeah, summer 2017 with just two of us. And that lasted just over two years. And then the Source Chain Group disintegrated basically at the end of last year. Yeah. Was it last year or this year? Sorry. When did that all happen again? I, can't, I feel like it was yesterday, but then it could have been a long time ago. When did, when did you get the announcement and all that happened? Officially, it was in February um, is when, so effectively, at the end of January, the company, the, the group went into administration uh, and affected a lot of people. It was, um, it was a pretty traumatic time for a lot of people. Mm. Um, but I think from my point, I kind of got wind that things weren't all quite right um, in around about December time. Uh, I actually came back from, it was my 40th birthday in November, and um, I came back from a nice holiday in Mexico to just the vibe that things weren't quite right. Um, our contractors missed a pay run by 24 hours, and that just doesn't happen unless there's like a bit of a cash issue. So it started to raise a few alarm bells. And I basically made a conscious decision uh, to kind of get the team together, rally the team, let them know what was going on or what I thought was going on within the group. How many did you have at the time? There was 10 of us. Uh, so it'd gone from, Vader had basically gone from being two of us, so myself and Roxanne, who I've worked with for a long time, used to work with Austin Fraser, um, to uh, 10 of us. So we actually set up in the States after three months of setting up in the UK, um, which is a bit of a baptism of fire, but a really exciting journey. Um, and yeah, by, by the time we kind of come to the end of our journey with Source Chain, there was, there was 10 of us. And from my point of view, it kind of, it got to a point where we not only, A, did we have sort of quite a lot of momentum as a business and we were finally starting to build up a bit of a name and a bit of a brand for ourselves and establish ourselves as being a, a player within the space. Um, to see that come apart, um, as the group started to dismantle for me, I couldn't, I couldn't just stand by and watch that happen. And I guess I took a bit of a risk in predicting where that was going, just based on a feeling. No, uh, no, no comes from above saying like, this is where we're heading. No, well, I actually, I resigned a month before this happened. So effectively what happened is I got wind of this going on and I spent between around about the 18th of December, um, literally just in a run up to everyone breaking up for Christmas parties, et cetera, through to people coming back to work in the new year. Again, going through this whole beauty parade scenario, but I was quite smart in the way that I went about it. And I basically went back to the individuals who were part of my two to three shortlist. The last time I went, went through the mill. Uh, one of those companies was Engage, and I had a really good relationship with both Tim and Adam who run Engage. And, I knew there was like a good alignment there with both the locations that we now had in Reading being just outside of London and also Austin in Texas is where they've got bases as well. And I knew that it was a much more uh, 
stable place to be, like based on their numbers. I, it was kind of for me there was like less less chat and less bragging for them on more substance. Hmm. But yeah, effectively what happened was I came back first week of January, resigned. Um, I was still told that I was making a making a mistake at that point. Yeah. Uh, what were they going to do with your business? Were they just going to find a new MD for it? Um, it wasn't made abundantly clear to me at that point. Um, it was, yeah, it, the, kind of, the deal I came to was like, look, I don't want to, I know you guys are in trouble. So, or that's the, that's the feeling I'm getting. So I want to stay and help out and push whatever deals we can across the line between now and when my notice period finishes. But that, that was actually in three months though. So it would end up in like April time. Um, with the rest of the team being on month's notice. But uh, yeah, effectively two weeks later, well, I had a day off to go and get um, one of quite a few all day tattoo appointments that I tend to do about a couple of times a year. Nice. Um, I basically had a phone call to say, look, the whole group's going into administration. That's kind of the end of that. And then I think about four or five days later, we got official notice from the liquidators um as to what might unfold um which was i think for me it was of course it was disappointing to see something that you've built come apart through no fault of your own we built a very profitable business um within the group um in fact we won award uh, i think in our second quarter for the most profitable business unit and to see that come apart through no fault of your own wasn't exactly enjoyable, but it was more like the, the personal aspect, I think, that, that got you, which was the, obviously the, the guys and working around us who had committed their time to pushing some more business across the line for the group, to see them not get paid, which is the deal. Like you go through liquidation, um, you don't get paid. Yeah. So to see some of those guys kind of to make that commitment. Um, did everyone know you'd handed, you know, did this whole team know you'd handed you notice in any way? Yeah, yeah. So we've done it as a collective, but I guess we've done it discreetly between ourselves. So everyone knew the plan. Um, yeah, everyone knew the plan, but we just decided to keep it to ourselves. So then obviously the, the the news broke on LinkedIn. It was as if like just within five minutes, everyone was like, right. And I know a few people at Chapman Black and so I just, it seemed like this spiral of information going out saying, Hey, we're, you know, we're working out what's going on. Did you, were you already then at the point where you knew you'd already knew what you were going to do? So it was a, it was an easier route to get going again. I guess I'd already accepted where it was going, um, which was that I was on my way out and I was on my way out. It was about two, two and a half weeks before the news officially hit. And it actually hit LinkedIn before I got a phone call. Hmm. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess the, the reality is, is like a lot of recruitment businesses, it's, it's full of young people, like young people that are living their lives like paycheck to paycheck. So to get notice on, I think it was the 26th of January. So it's literally like a few days before payday. I think one of the one of the groups was waiting to go on a um, a ski trip within days of finding out. 
So, yeah, needless to say, it got a bit spicy. Um, but that, in a way, freed you up, though, didn't it? Because it meant that they broke. There was no like covenant period then. You could just crack on. Yeah, obviously, at the moment, at the time that um, no one was paid, you're affecting a breach of contract, and any of your restricted covenants are released. So there was an aspect of a silver lining there. Um, we, uh, yeah, from our point of view, we never had any grand plans to like transfer clients across. We were just effectively built a client base again with the same team. I've been through that mill only once before. Um, went from Huxley to Austin Fraser and we built um, a client base there without taking any money from Huxley across. That was, it's, from my point of view, it's like, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna prove that you're good at something, um, you should do it sort of based on the method rather than based on like leveraging the relationships that you've already got and moving money from one place to another. Hmm. A quick interruption of the episode to bring to you a message from our second sponsor, which is Odro. Odro, as most of you probably know, is the world's most powerful all-in-one video interview platform for recruiters. Used by thousands of recruiters worldwide and with some of the industry's biggest names amongst its client base, Odro is a video interview platform. It was developed specifically to help agencies increase their revenues. The most innovative solution on the market, Odro's software helps recruiters to engage more talent, reduce time to hire, and most importantly, it helps you win business. You'll even get the ROI back from investing in Odro within just 45 days. It's designed to benefit everyone in the process, so from recruiters to clients to candidates, Odro's platform is improving the hiring process one interview at a time. We chose to partner with Odro because we felt like both brands, Hoxo and Odro, were in such a clear alignment in the way that we approach everything we do and how passionate we are about helping this industry grow. If you want to find out more about how Odro can help your agency transform its process and win more business, win exclusivity and drive revenue, then click the link on the podcast notes and every social post that goes out and they will, you will get a call back by one of the Odro guys. They're, they are awesome, and I'm sure they'll be able to offer some amazing value to your business. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. What happened next? When, when did you actually get like pace off the ground? Because it couldn't have been long before the coronavirus went mental. You must have been, what, month one? Yeah, so we got set up in the first week of February, but from a operational point of view, I'd say we probably weren't really in a position to start doing anything serious until like the second week of February. By second week of February, I seem to recall listening to one of your podcasts and you know, there was a few jokes flying around about COVID-19. And yeah, yeah, the first well, one. So it wasn't jokes, let's actually, no. that. it was more discussion of whether or not it would impact us i think it was the nick eves conversation in hong, like the from stanton house i think it was that one i remember because he's got a hong kong office and he was like this is really affecting us and i was like really like it was, it was definitely mid-feb it was around it was either that or one of the ones around that and i still couldn't i just thought it was going to be something that would hit asia and unfortunately as that is i didn't i didn't think it was going to come this way so yeah it, for, for, well for you you must have been thinking well what's this global what's going on on a global scale yeah honestly until i don't think it was like probably getting into the second week of two mark of march i didn't really think too much of it as um 
when you're, I no one plans for a pandemic. <laughs> well, that wasn't, in your, that wasn't in your investment debt. <laughs> no, no, one, no one plans for a pandemic, no one plans for a recession. A lot of people keep comparing this to a recession. I think the, the impact economically might be comparable or they think it would be bigger. Um, but I think the impact on people's lives is more, I, I, I think we can only really find more of a comparison to a war in the way that people are having to live their lives. 100%, yeah. What, so what was it like for you when you're less than a month in, teams just getting mobilised and then shit hit the fan? Take us back to when it, because I think you rang me and you were quite positive. You were like, you were definitely, you were definitely quite positive for a few days and then it seemed to dip a bit. Well, let's go, let's go back to mid-March. What was it like for you? I shouldn't laugh, but in hindsight, probably, you've got to find yeah, out. By, by that point, we literally just got the wheel spinning again. We built up a bit of pipeline. We built up some, like, rebuilt some relationships. We put some, like, commercials back in place to supply. We built a decent pipeline of jobs. Got interviews going on. And then literally, I think it was 48 hours after the lockdown got announced that we went from having around about 18 interviews in a week to zero. Mm. And it was at that point that you hit the panic button a little bit and go, what's this really about? Um, but it was only a matter of probably 48 hours later, we managed to recover most of those over WebEx. So, and that's, it's been a similar sort of theme since it's, Everyone always says that recruitment is a bit of a roller coaster emotionally on the front line. And this has definitely highlighted that. I think that the, the biggest difference is, is regardless of how much you try to manage the outcome, which is a key part of your success as a recruiter is, is managing all that peripheral, peripheral risk around the client and the candidate and the journey they go on to getting an offer, whether it's for a contract or a perm job, is the risks that are coming from each side at the moment are unforeseen or unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. And they're literally changing on a dime. No. So have you, you said you managed to rescue the jobs by using video platforms. Are they, is, that, is that confidence to flip is still there or is it are people getting a little bit sick of that now and just changing their mindset? Um, we've got some clients who are very openly holding out to they won't hire until they have a face-to-face -face meeting. And it, and it differs location to location. So in the UK, they seem a little bit more open-minded to hiring off of WebEx. In Germany, the general consensus I'm feeling is that, um, or up until recently when they've relaxed um, some of the, the lockdown restrictions that were in play, is that they wouldn't make any decisions until a face-to-face -face meeting happened. And that wasn't just from the, the client side, but the candidate as well. In the States, um, up until some of the measures were put in place by the federal government to force some businesses to make PPE, everything was pretty much carrying on as normal. And I think it's like quite an interesting reflection of like culture. Americans have got a very like, positive outlook on life in general. Yeah, yeah. And they just saw it as something else that they need to get their way through. So we've seen like different trends across like different parts of the, the, the globe. But 
I think the the general trend now is a lot of the bigger firms, so those that are public, those that are listed, have pretty much like shut down their recruitment, right. with the exception of a few. Whereas the SMEs that are maybe slightly more agile in the way that they can make decisions and also onboard people um, in pockets are are carrying on. And then in some instances, I guess seeing the opportunity um, in this. I think uh, quite fortunately, like the industry that we're in, we haven't really seen like a huge spate of redundancies. In fact, I've seen very few. Um, and I haven't spoken to a single person that's been put on furlough. Really? So they've kept their staff, they're just not increasing headcount? Yeah, well, the staff that we deal with are fundamental to the safety of the, the product. Mm. So you can't, being without them is quite challenging, mm. um, whether that's for a few weeks or a matter of months. They're also quite hard to replace. Um, True. What do you think of the, the latest announcement last night and how that's going to the next phase of this from a recruitment perspective? Um, I think it's good. It, it's hard to make any intelligent comment on it today. All I know is that I'm allowed out to exercise more than I was before. And if you want to meet up with friends in a park like you were teenagers, then um, that's okay too. <laughs> from a business point of view, uh, so the lock, I can only look back to the, the US and where we are in Texas, the lockdown was lifted um, close to a week ago now. And it hasn't really made any impact on the decision making out there really. really? As yet, I think people are using the time to um, gather themselves back together. If so they what, are back if, to in Austin, they've basically gone back to normal or they've... Yeah, so there are still certain restrictions in place um, but yeah, they lifted the restrictions, uh, a week ago. The caveats are you have to go out with a face mask on, um, in public, there's fines if you don't, um, or oh, it seems like it's fine for, uh, the vice president to go into a hospital without a mask on from what I can make out. Um, but yeah, they lifted their restrictions a week ago. We've seen some of the like furloughed HR staff and like talent staff from some of the clients that we're working with, given notice that they're going back to work, but they haven't yet gone back to work. Um, I reckon it'll be like another week or so before it starts to pick up. How are you staying like optimistic? Because you, you, you are an optimistic guy. Like every time I talk to you, there's, there's a level of energy I get from you personally. So what, what's your strategy or tips for people to stay stay sane stay optimistic as a leader of a recruitment business where you don't even know what's going on never mind got to give confidence to people on the bench or in the office as well i think for me okay so first things first as far as the optimism is concerned I think you always have to be optimistic as a recruiter, particularly as a leader of a recruitment business. Um, we work in an area that's challenging and can be unpredictable. You've got humans on like both sides of your transaction and you've kind of got to corral and control them to the desired place and have the foresight to, I guess, 
see what problems may come in your way and ask the questions that need to be asked to try and establish if you're going to get there or not, if you make, need to make a plan B. Um, for me, a real key part of staying optimistic has been really just trying to build closer relationships with clients and candidates for that matter and spending more quality of time with people rather than the focus on the quantity of phone calls that you're making and try and put in place relationships now which you can leverage in the next three, six, nine, 12 months to make yourself more memorable um, and ask for feedback as well. I think for us in particular, as a startup in the space, it's useful to get feedback about yourself, what you're doing, how you're trying to do that differently, what people's thoughts are on that. Also take the time to listen more to what's challenging your clients and your candidates in the space that they're in. Uh, and having asked that question, the interesting response is in most cases, it isn't COVID-19. Mm. Um, it's other things, which means that people aren't so bogged down on this um, subject as you think they are. And that in itself gives you that optimism that people are already looking beyond this. But I think you need to be comfortable enough to have a slightly like medium to longer term vision. And for me, the optimism comes from having a little bit of quieter than usual time to rebuild, look at rebranding and like repositioning what you really want to offer coming out the other side of this. Now people really are questioning the value of everything that they purchase, yeah. whether it's a service, whether it's a product or anything else. Yeah, good point. How have you found the relationship with Engage now after having your second partnership? Obviously you took the opportunity to work with them. They've they've had to support you now through the worst thing in a hundred years. You'd never expect that from any any relationship, but you've had to deal with that together. How how have you found that experience? It's been brilliant. Like literally from the from the moment that the news hit, um, the benefit in being in this sort of size group where there's, there's 800 staff within the group, there's 24 different brands in pretty much 24 different sectors mm. um, with a big backer in Graphite Capital, um, who again, have got like a decent spread of business. Um, but the support from an operational point of view from the group coming down has been fantastic. Like literally day one, literally before the, the furlough thing was even announced, we had like paperwork templates in place all the comms have gone out to brief us. Um, and it was done in a nice way. It was done in a really understanding way. It was done in a human way. Um, in that this isn't something necessary that we want to do. It's just an option that we're considering. Um, and it was done as a discussion between like us and the, the rest of the, the, the directors within the group. Um, and from there on, it's, it's remained that way as well. Like every hurdle that's um, come into play has been like really well supported by the group. And we've had regular meetups on a Friday. We not say just, just talking about business, but also a chance to like get to know everyone a little bit better as well. Um, do their like quiz and 
have a drink thing in your garden or your office or wherever it is you're going to base yourself from. Um, and it's been a chance to, it's been a chance to like get to know everyone in like a really challenging time. Everyone has naturally become more honest. Yeah. That's, that's probably prevalent in like our relationship as well. Mm. That you've just not, not stopped badgering me and asking me questions and just being honest. <laughs> I think that's worked both ways. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pretty true. Pretty true. Um, look, the question I've got for you, the final question is, what's going to be different about pace now? Like compared to the, I guess you've gone into this pitch a couple of months ago. You've had to resell the business to these investors. They've gone, yeah, all right. Well, we liked you originally. We like you again. Let's go and do it. The biggest disaster that could have hit the market has hit the market when we come out of this because we will i don't know the answer yet as to what when and how and what but when we do come out of this what's the difference you're gonna what's the change to your business your operating model your mindset whatever what's how is it going to evolve now and what's that going to look like the, the single biggest thing that we focused on is both client and candidate side and i'd say that there's probably more of a bias towards the the, the candidate side is giving like real transparency as to the, the service that we're providing and actually specifying almost in a product-like way is to, this is what you get when you engage with us. So a bit like um, a, a software as a service type platform where you've got like a free entry level service that comes with very limited features through to the all singing, all dancing option. You can see what value you're purchasing at each point. And we're trying to take that model and implement it both for our clients and also for our candidates. The only difference is we're not charging for that service to our candidates. Um, the cost obviously falls to the, to the client. But basically to re, redefine, so it's, to look at our brand, how that's presented in the market and to position our services so that the value is transparent within there. A lot of clients, and you see this in the way that they take on, when you take a job spec from a client, a lot of clients will literally just go, oh, just send me some CVs. And they literally think that's all that exists behind a recruitment service. Whereas the reality is, finding the CV, that's the easy bit. Mm. It's all of the complexities around that as to how you got to be able to source those CVs in the first place, build the relationship with them, but particularly with perm recruitment, it's all about managing the outcome. It's not about finding the CV, it's about managing the outcome. There's no point in everyone entering into this where um, you fire great CVs all day long, but you never actually make a hire. Yeah. So for us, it's about giving transparency of our services in a product-like fashion making that visible to our clients, visible to our candidates, so they know what they're getting into. I think that's really important, actually. I like that because if you think about most candidates, it's kind of a bit similar to what I've always said around the way you interact with your market, the, the perception you leave them in with makes all the difference, right? Because if you, if, you're just, if you just ring someone up and you're like every other recruiter and you have one conversation with the candidate about a job and... You know, they're so used to that fucking experience of it being mediocre, probably never hearing from you again if you're not quite right. They can, I'm sure candidates can sense when the, the recruiter's excited at the beginning and they really, they, when they're good enough to realize that the candidate's not right and then they kind of switch off and quite quickly get off the phone. I bet they've been through so many of them conversations. Professionalizing, productizing your offering 
showing people that you know this is a process that for example if a candidate knew if you could identify to the candidate that they've got to get through these following steps to get to the next phase and they, they know that when they don't like there's no like harm in you then going well unfortunately we can't continue this do you know what i mean as opposed to it just being like this back of a fag packet black book style mindset of getting people really excited and then covering them for a job and then never speaking to them again which is where the industry i think has got the name from what you're trying to do is put structure in it so candidates and clients can buy into an actual process that's professional that's re- replicable that adds loads of value as opposed to just being whatever they think you're doing is what you're doing yeah and the the feedback piece is essential i think it's a good test we've tested um our candidate service which is effectively where we sign the candidate up to work exclusively with us we generally act as their job agent on their behalf give them a like super structured insight into exactly what we're going to do on their behalf who we're going to go to um put together like a bespoke piece of marketing collateral around that to support them but it's completely anonymous so i can't identify them in any way put them we work in quite a tight-knit industry and the interesting thing is, like when you do it right, quite often the response from the candidate is, that sounds great, but how much does it cost? Yeah, so you know that you're doing something different when that's the type of feedback that you're getting. Um, <laughs> I think without getting too much into like cheesy quotes, I think it was in Jerry Maguire's that talked about effectively having like less clients and doing a better job. And that's something that on my first week within the Engage group, Tim Cook, who's the CEO, spent a lot of time talking about, basically spent a lot of time talking about do less better. And it doesn't mean make less phone calls, like literally like make two phone calls a day and like give yourself a pat on the back. But he's really talking about focus on the quality of what you do rather than the quantity of what you do. And uh, particularly in the UK market, I think that is something that is missing. Mm. Yeah. Candidates in particular have been treated too much like a disposable commodity for too long. And the reality is, depending on what level you're interacting at, those candidates will become your clients. And if you don't deliver the right experience at the right point in their journey, you may just get scrubbed off their list forever. Yeah, yeah. It's, you've got to look at, you've got to be thinking the long game, which is the biggest, biggest thing to think about. Is if you're thinking long game, then you can set yourself up that way. If you're thinking short game, I need to just fill this one job and I don't give a fuck who I stamp on to do it. You, you won't have a long game. Look, Simon, time's up. You've got a, you've got another meeting, I think. And uh, I, I'm, I'm super pleased we did this because we've been talking about it for ages, but I want to get you on a full rag episode when we've got a little bit more traction <laughs> A little bit more time with pace because like, talk about no, the pace so far has been great, but it isn't. It, we haven't got enough to say, so um, I'm sure people after listening to this are going to be excited about hearing about how you get on and, and the story of the, the second wave of your of your venture. Um, if anyone does want to reach out in the meantime, I can firsthand say you're normally there on the end of a phone to to answer questions. You've been great for me to to bounce ideas off. But you open for anyone who's listening who you don't know to reach out. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Wicked. Well, I'll make sure you're tagged in this. Um, and thanks so much, mate. Um, I'm sure um, you'll get through this and, and we'll talk again. Um, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. A little bit different today, um, but you know, I want, I want to give as much... I want to bring the stories to this now because I think co- if we just talk about COVID every day, it's going to get a bit dry. We need to be a bit more uh, 
uh, interesting with our with our content. Um, but if you did enjoy it and you want to share this with with more people, please do. You know, I don't ask for any money to listen, but I do ask for you to do one thing, which is share it. So pass it on to a friend, a colleague, a boss, anyone you think will value this story. Um, also, if you're listening on iTunes, get on there, give us your your rating and your comments because it, it just allows us to reach more people. Um, I'll be back again tomorrow with more information, more stories. But in the meantime, stay safe. And I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online, and we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now. We're managing the marketing force. That involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, We can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support you build your marketing as as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.